0: Good morning. Welcome. It's a joy to see each one of you today. Would you stand with me one more time? Let's read this text together. And we'll read from 2 Timothy Timothy 4, verse 1, all the way through to verse 8. Would you please join me in unison as we read this text together? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Please join me in prayer. Father, again, we come to this text this morning. We ask that You would fill our hearts with truth. That You, by Your Spirit, would illumine the text for us. That we, by the instruction of the Spirit, would be convicted and comforted in the Gospel, and changed. Father, we look to the coming of the Son far too little. We long for it far too little. And we ask that You would change us this morning in our affections, in our desires for Your Son's return. That these reasons that Paul gives to us to love the appearing of Christ would, would be impressed upon our hearts and And fill us with a passion that that does not dread the return of Christ and does not love the world more, but loves Christ first and His glorious appearing and the reward that He brings with Him. Father, we ask that You would do this in us. Thank You for Your inspired Word. We have this precious Word. Inspired and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God would be equipped for every good work. We pray that you would allow your word to have that effect upon us this morning. For your glory, we ask it. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our mediator, our king, our savior. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the main idea of this text, as we've been looking over for several weeks previous, we have come to is simply preach the Word. You can see this exhortation very clearly in verse 2. Preach the Word. And all of these texts, all of these verses, verses 1-8, through have to do with the faithful preaching of God's Word. Paul has defined the motives for preaching God's Word. There in verse verse 1, he speaks of the coming of Christ, the appearing of Christ even here. He also speaks of the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, His judgeship when He returns, and His appearing to reward. We've talked about the method of faithful preaching, which is taken up with these several words, to be ready in season, out of season, to reprove and rebuke and exhort, to have patience and to exercise teaching. We've looked together at the moment of faithful preaching is when those who, having itching ears, do not want to hear sound teaching, do not want to endure. That's the moment of faithful preaching when it is certainly called for. Not a time to step away from faithful preaching, but a time to lean in by the strength of Christ's grace. We've also looked at the man of faithful preaching. as Paul describes in verse 5, to be sober-minded, to endure suffering, to do the work of an evangelist, and to fulfill the ministry. And then we began to look at an additional three motivations that Paul gives to us. And that's really what these three verses that we focused on, almost as a second section, that these verses contain. The three motivations that we've looked at, the first two in completion, and we're still going to look at the second half of the third. The first motivation was a present motivation. He says in verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. The present motivation, as you remember, was this, that by the strength of Christ's grace, we are called to step into the place that has been left vacant by the departure of sacrificial preachers. Paul was about to set sail for heaven. It's the word that he uses here, he saw his entire life as an offering of sacrifice to the Lord, and he had come to the final part of that sacrifice, the poured out drink offering. He goes on and talks about a past motivation, which is this, the motivation for preaching the word is that the gospel proclamation is worth agonizing over. Certainly for undeniable reasons, the preaching of the gospel, proclamation of the gospel puts God's glory on display. It rescues sinners from God's wrath. It is the power of God to those who are being saved. And so Paul demonstrates the value, the inestimable value of, of the gospel and its proclamation by describing his own agonizing for it. Paul was willing to, to agonize over that which is truly valuable. And he describes his agonizing over the Gospel in, in three ways. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He uses the word that we use for agony that pictures the conflict in the arena. And he commends that to Timothy impressing upon Timothy's heart the value of its proclamation. Timothy you here have in my life, not arrogantly, he say, you have a model to follow in the spiritual arena. I made gospel proclamation my conflict. I gave myself to it. You give yourself to it as well. And certainly, we're constantly looking back at the absolute necessity to depend upon the Holy Spirit and the strength of Christ's grace. Never forget as you're going through 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, you then, my child, Strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Who is sufficient for the things that we're talking about here? Only Christ within us. And so finally, as we began to look two weeks ago, and then we had a different theme for preaching last week, two weeks ago, we looked at the third motivation, which is a future motivation, and it's taken up in verse 8. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And this verse has kind of set me on a personal study of seeking to love the appearing of Christ. And before we refresh the first two parts of, of that particular motivation this morning and then get to the, to the new material, I want to bring up that question for you again today as we set into this text, do you love the appearing of Christ? What are you looking forward to today? What has been exciting you this week as you look to the future? Maybe some of us have some Memorial Day plans and we can look forward to those things or plans this summer. Is your heart so stirred? Or should I say, is your heart infinitely more stirred when you think of the coming of Christ? Or is it something that's not so much on your heart from day to day? Do you love Christ? Do you love His appearing? This is what Paul calls us to. He says it is those who love His appearing, who have loved His appearing, that will receive the crown of righteousness. Here's the future motivation. The appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glorious reward that He brings with Him. This is is all connected with Paul's, Paul's exhortation to preach the Word. We preach the Word if we love the appearing of Christ. As we look through this particular motivation again, I want you to be kind of ready to turn to lots of Scriptures with me. I've been studying all different texts from the New Testament that have to do with the appearing of Christ. And so, I'd like for you to write them down maybe. Uh, grab some, some paper and a pen and write down at least the references. If you don't get any of... Of my notes, that's fine. Just write down these references and spend time this week thinking about the appearing of Christ. Here's something that's been a challenge on my heart as I've been studying this. is I think I need to go back through the, the New Testament and start reading from Matthew 1, one all the way through to Revelation 22 and the end of the chapter. And go through it and, and just set aside on notes all the verses in the New Testament that refer to to the appearing of Christ. Wouldn't that be a wonderful sight to see? And all the details. There's far more here than we have our minds around. And I think that's part of the reason why we love the world too much. Why we struggle under trial so much. Why we are discontent. Why we have so much fear. its Because we do not have our hope set and our affection set on the appearing of Christ as we ought. And so Paul presses into the heart of Timothy the appearing of Christ and the gracious and glorious reward. And you, you'll, you'll hear me say probably, I don't know, 10, 15 times in this message, gracious and glorious reward because this reward isn't something that we earn by our own doing. Even our rewards on that day of Christ's appearing are graciously given. Please seal that into your heart. They're graciously given. And he will bring with him those rewards. And that Paul gives to Timothy as a motivation to preach the word and proclaim the gospel. You see, Timothy will preach the word faithfully if he loves Christ's appearing. There's lots of thoughts bound up into that truth. Timothy will proclaim the gospel faithfully if he longs for Christ and the gracious reward that will be revealed at his appearing. Why? Because grace-empowered, faithful, Christ-loving, Christ-exalting, preaching of the Word and proclaiming of the Gospel that perseveres even when there is great struggle and suffering will receive a glorious reward at the return of Christ. So preach the Word, Paul would say to Timothy. What's coming? Look to what's coming soon. And the way that Paul presses this motivation in Timothy's heart is to give him very concisely some reasons to love the appearing of Christ and to love and long for the reward that Christ will award on that day to all who love His appearing. I think as sinful human beings, we do not naturally love the appearing of Christ. That's not natural to us. Probably, for most of us, some of the thoughts or the feelings, if you will, that we have in the thoughts of Christ's return can, can move toward fear and dread. I'm sure that all of us at some point in our lives had those feelings most naturally. And there's a sense where that, that's, that's fitting because when Christ appears, He will appear as judge. But now that we are in Him and cleansed by Christ and, f- and filled with His Spirit, and begin to love Him, that appearing no longer holds any dread for us. And we need to learn to love it. That's what Paul's doing for Timothy. And so we need to take this to heart as well. We will preach the Word and proclaim the Gospel faithfully if we love the appearing of Christ. We will also preach the Word and proclaim the Gospel faithfully if we are filled with a loving, longing, anticipation of... Christ Himself and the reward that He will bring with Him. So we must be filled by these motivations, these these reasons to love the appearing of Christ. So why should we love the appearing of Christ? We looked at two last week, and I'll just run through these as quickly as I can again and pick up some speed here. First of all, the first reason, because the reward is laid up for us. There is laid up for me Paul says, the crown. That's one reason to love the appearing of Christ. There is a certainty about that. There's a certain reserve that is waiting for us. There are two great assurances for us in that statement. There is laid up for me the crown. One, God will graciously preserve the reward for us. It's not going anywhere we looked at the text, 1 Peter 1, 3-9, where it describes the inheritance that's coming as imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And the second great assurance that that statement gives us is God will graciously preserve us for the reward. And again, that comes from 1 Peter 1, 3-9, where it says He will guard us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the, revo- the reward will be kept imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and we will be guarded so that we will persevere to the receiving of that reward as God works faith in us continually toward Christ. That will preserve us. You will be rewarded, not earned but graciously given, for persevering faith and repentance toward Christ, wrought by the gracious working of God in your heart, You will be rewarded, again, not earned, but graciously given for every good work, speaking, serving, suffering, when it's done in faith toward Christ, out of love for Christ, out of a desire for His glory, because it's wrought by a gracious working of God in your heart. If you're truly in Christ, and therefore truly love Him and His appearing, then by God's grace, nothing will intercept and sever you from receiving a gracious and glorious reward from Christ on that day when He appears. Not even the worst suffering that you could experience in this life. In fact, your suffering actually will only intensify the glory, the joy, the delight, and satisfaction of your reward. Remember what Paul said in Romans 8.18. 8, the suffering of this present life are what? Not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Or 2 Corinthians 4, 14-16. This momentary light affliction, Paul said, is working for us. What? A far greater weight of glory. So that we don't lose heart. We keep our eyes set on what is unseen. Or 1 Peter 4. If you'd like to turn there for a moment. Again, I, I, we've talked about this text over the years, but let's go there and look at it a fresh way. 1 Peter 4. Verses 12 and 13. 1 Peter 4:12. Please notice. Paul, Peter writes to the suffering church: Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though Something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised at fiery trials when they come upon you to test you, though something strange were happening to you. But rather than being surprised, verse 13 rejoice. Why? Because insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This, this verse is absolutely delightful and astounding, and it's so very helpful because it teaches us that to the degree that you suffer now, in so far, right, in so far that you suffer now, you will rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And what does that teach us then? The degree of suffering now will have some consistency with the degree of your reward later. And the part of your reward that is gladness and joy. So you should look around you at other brothers sisters of Christ who are suffering and think, I'm a little jealous of you right now. No, you shouldn't think that. And we won't be jealous in heaven either. We will be delighted at whatever measure of joy and rejoicing and gladness we all receive then. It's all God's sovereign work. But this is meant to encourage you to say that to the degree that you suffer now, you will rejoice and be glad when the Lord is revealed. Now that is a powerful encouragement. The greater the suffering, the greater the joy later. And ultimately, you will be preserved for your reward And your reward for you because Christ Himself will be glorified in your being rewarded. That's really the end of rewards, isn't it? Is that by the receiving of your own reward, because of persevering faith that He did in you, you will ultimately bring glory to Christ. The greater your rewards, the greater the glory to Christ in eternity. It was His work of grace that accomplished it all. It was His work... Let me say that again. It was His worth that was loved and treasured even over your suffering that yielded reward in eternity and therefore He will be glorified in the receiving of your reward. Romans 11.36 Of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory. Therefore, you, by God's grace, will not lose your reward. And that is a reason to love His appearing. It is laid up for you, as it was for Paul. Another reason we looked at, why should we love the appearing of Christ? Secondly, let it be because the reward is righteousness. There is laid up for me, a crown of righteousness. We remember the crown was the laurel wreath of the garland that was given as the prize to the victor in the public games. The crowns that Christ will give His faithful ones should not be assumed to be physical crowns that are worn on head through all of eternity, but rather will be the reward of that which is named in the title of the reward. So, in this case, the reward is righteousness. There are several examples of crowns referred to in the New Testament. I'm going to breeze through some of these because we looked at them in detail two weeks ago. 1 Thessalonians 2. 19-20, through the Apostle Paul there speaks of a crown as the reward of seeing other people stand blameless before the throne of Christ on that day. The joy that you receive. Think of this, parents, right? Parents, those children of yours whom God has allowed you to bring to salvation and whose faith God has allowed you to nurture, you are going to stand before the throne on that day in Christ, blameless, with great joy, and see your children there as well. What kind of joy will you experience to see that Christ, by his grace, brought them all the way home and used you? That's what Paul is talking about. These are his children in the faith, that's a crown. The joy of seeing others stand blameless before the Lord on that day. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The crown of eternal life for those who persevere in faith and love toward God by His grace. And one more. 1 Peter 5.4, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's the crown of glory. I don't know how all that works out, but being present for the expression of Christ's full glory and experiencing and rejoicing in that glory perfectly for all of eternity. The reward is to share in the glory of Christ. And so then we came to this, uh, the crown of righteousness in verse 8, the crown that is righteousness. Righteousness itself will be the reward given. What do you mean the reward will be righteousness? Well, we defined it this way after some deliberation last week. We talked about, or two weeks ago, the perfect righteousness of glorification is the crown of righteousness that will be the reward of every justified and sanctified believer in Jesus Christ. That's how I've tried to simply define this crown. The perfect righteousness of glorification is the crown of righteousness, and that will be rewarded to every justified and sanctified believer in Jesus Christ on the day that He appears. And what a magnificent gift of grace this is. To have a spirit and body that is transformed and defined by perfect righteousness. Not just positional righteousness. That is glory enough. But actual, practical, experiential righteousness. To have a mind that is perfectly righteous and a body perfectly righteous and a spirit that is perfectly righteous. And so we pushed it a little farther and we said that it even gets better because when you think about the implications of that reward, it boggles the mind. We will then be able to freely stand before the glory of Christ on that day because we'll be blameless. We looked at so many texts that talk about that word. That word blamelessness is associated with the appearing of Christ. That those who have been justified And sanctified, will be glorified in their state before the eyes of God, will be blameless, positional, and experiential. And therefore, we will then have the ability to freely experience and fully enjoy the glory of Christ. To know what it is like to the fullest to be loved by Him and to love Him. It's absolutely amazing. We looked at several references when we talked about our ability to stand before Christ. Philippians 1, 6-11. You can jot that down. That's the, the text that begins with, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work and you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 of that section says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Thank you, God, for this grace. Colossians 1: 21-23 is another text. "He has reconciled us in his body of flesh." verse 22 says, "In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him." First Thessalonians 3:11 through13, "So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, before our God and Father." at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear ones, you don't have to dread the coming of Christ because if you are in Christ, justified, being sanctified, you will be blameless every bit on that day. It'll be nothing but joy when you see Jesus. 1 Thessalonians five twenty three 23-24, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, Jude 1, 24-25, being presented before His glory with great joy because He will present us blameless before that presence. And we will have that great ability to rejoice because we'll be perfected Philippians 3, 20-21, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Glorious promises. That's the nature of the reward of His coming. Perfect righteousness in spirit and body which will enable us to stand blameless before His glory And enjoy fully His glory. Are these helping you to love His appearing? Blameless? And kept in heaven for you. It's reserved. You will be blameless. Why should we love the appearing of Christ? Let us see. Here's, Here's a new one for us this morning. Let us see. Because Christ will give the reward. Because Christ will give the reward. Who will be giving to us the reward of the crown of righteousness? Take this question very carefully and slowly in your mind. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day.
1: How does that sit with you?
0: The Lord, the righteous judge, will award the crown of righteousness to you and to me on that day? What are we talking about? here?
1: What would be
0: most natural to our thinking that it would be like to meet the Lord, the righteous judge, on that day. What should it be like? What should we receive from Him?
1: And yet, what are we going to receive from Him?
0: Think of who the Lord is. I think of Exodus 34, 1-9. I'm going to look at some Old Testament texts. You're welcome to turn with me. I encourage you to. I just want to think about who the Lord is—the Lord, the
1: righteous Judge. Exodus thirty-four.
0: I want to read verses one through nine. This is that so very well-known text when the the, uh, the Moses Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and. God invited him to come up and to behold him. The Lord said to Moses in verse 1, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. And be ready in the morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. What an invitation. No one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Here is the glory of God. And what was Moses' response to seeing the Lord? He quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in among the midst of us, for it is a stiff necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. Take us for your inheritance. And my mind then wandered off to Isaiah chapter 6. You know these texts. But behold the glory of God, the Lord, Yahweh,
1: in these texts.
0: In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts and one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said behold this has touched your lips your iniquity is taken away and your sin atoned for and i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us then i said here i am send me and I remember how in John 12, verse 42, John writes there that Isaiah saw Jesus and spoke of Him. Saw the glory of Jesus and spoke of Him. This is, this is Christ here in Isaiah 6. Yahweh, the Son of God. And then my, my mind went to Philippians chapter 2 where we see... The Lord's ultimate humiliation. And then His exaltation as the God-man. Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, verse 5 says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, bore the very essence of God in nature, yet He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, or a contradiction with with." Emptying himself or making himself of no reputation by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father the glory of god from the beginning all the way through to this section where he becomes he takes on to himself human nature and suffers and dies on a cross and yet is risen and then as the god man given the name above every name that name of lord so that all would bow before Him in His glory. And then, I think of Revelation 17, in verse 14, where you begin to see the return of this Lord. Verse 14 says, "...they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings." And those who are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. And then I see His name as Lord in Revelation 19, verses 11-16. through 16. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on His head are many diadems. On His robe and on His thigh, He has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. When you consider who the Lord is, and then what He did to earn the name above every name, to humble Himself and suffer and die on the cross and rise again. And when you think about the position of authority that He holds now, as the God-man, and how He is going to return having the name above every name and wage war and have absolute victory with eyes that pierce the heart of man.
1: How are we going to receive a
0: reward from Him? You're going to see Him. He He is going to Behold us as we are, and we will behold Him as He is. And He, dear ones, is the righteous judge. The righteous judge. He will miss nothing. He will not be bribed. He will not overlook anything. He will judge everything in perfect righteousness, in perfect conformity to the law. Psalm
1: chapter 7. verse 11 says,
0: God is a righteous judge. And a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies.
1: And then in verse 17,
0: you see David, I will give to the Lord the thanks, do His righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. The one who will give to us the crown of righteousness is the Lord, who is the righteous judge. James speaks of the Lord at his appearing as a righteous judge.
1: James chapter 4 and verse 12. James 4 and
0: verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. And then in
1: chapter 5 of James, he speaks of this judge as being
0: near. Do not grumble against one another. James 5 9 says, be brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And again, we read earlier, but it's, it's repeated in the first chapter of Revelation. Would you, would you look at Revelation 1 with me again?
1: This judge is at the door. He will appear.
0: and he is a he is a judge to be reckoned with we will not be able to reckon with him he will hold perfect righteous sway over all things revelation 1:12 and i turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and turned and saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long white or long robe and with a golden sash around his chest The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. And we know from John chapter 5 that it's Jesus who will come to judge. John 5.22 For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Consider who He is. The Lord, the righteous judge. Consider how He judges and with what omniscience
1: He judges. And on top of that all, what day? On that
0: day. What day? You trace that phrase, that day of the New Testament, you will find some mind-blowing experiences here.
1: I think of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24.
0: Matthew chapter 24 and 25 are all meant by Christ to prepare us for His appearing. But consider, for example, verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant. Matthew 23, 45. Whom His master has set over His household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom His master will find doing so doing when He comes. Truly I say to you, He will set him over all His possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on that day when he does not exact him or does not expect him, sorry, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He will come on a day. It's that day that Paul is talking about. Or the final judgment at the end of Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels, Twenty-five thirty-one. comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd Separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And he will say, and then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels.
1: That's the day. On that day, turn to Second Thessalonians. Chapter one. This just chilling, really chilling texts to think about this day of the Lord's appearing.
0: you can jot down in your notes 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and verse 4, and 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 9, and we'll just focus on this one text. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering To be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. That day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who have believed, but also, also
1: to judge. This is this judge.
0: The Lord, the righteous judge. On that day, we'll do what? Reward to Paul and to all who love his appearing, the crown of righteousness. Now that is unthinkable, but it's truth. What do we, what do we deserve on that day? That, that's what I'm getting at here. How is it possible that sinful people like you and like me, sinful to the core, sinful our very thoughts, our desires, could ever even imagine standing before the Lord, the righteous judge on that day, and Him saying, here is your reward of righteousness. That is mind-blowing.
1: To think of that wonder of wonders. How is that even possible?
0: The text that, that I think of, is Philippians chapter one that says it so very succinctly. Would you turn there? Philippians one.
1: Actually it's first Peter one. First Peter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, I want you to see this in your
0: Bible so you can put your finger on it. (laughs) Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's an amazing verse. What is Christ going to bring with Him to give to you on the day when He is revealed? He's coming with grace. Unmerited favor purchased by His own life and death and resurrection. You don't deserve The rewards, and neither do I, that we will be receiving. We don't deserve to behold His glory, but we will be gaining grace when He comes. That is a reason to love His appearing. The righteous judge will award to you on that day the crown of righteousness because He is coming with grace. From beginning to end, it will be grace. Consider what could be and what you deserve on that day. But as one faithful writer said, when your eyes meet the eyes of the judge on that day, you will be given grace. When he comes, he'll bring grace with him. For you who are in Christ, there will be no judgment for sin, only completed salvation, and the giving of reward, which is all of grace. Romans 5 and verse 9 says this as well. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from what? From the wrath of God. That's what's going to be given out on that day for those who disobey the Gospel and do not love the truth. But those who are in Christ by His grace, you will be saved from the wrath of God. For if all we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we'll be saved by His life. We shall be saved. By His life. That's the future. A future aspect. It's coming. Grace is coming to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11. For God has not destined us for wrath. That's that day. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Or Hebrews 9, 27-28, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. He is bringing grace to you on that day. 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15, as well as 1 Corinthians 10 or 5.10 speak of works that are valuable or worthless for receiving a reward, but our sins will not be dealt with because we were, they were already dealt with on the cross. So when He comes that second time, He's not going to come to deal with our sin who are in Christ, but to bring about that completed righteousness. Full
1: salvation. And when you receive this reward from Christ, what will be your response?
0: Think of it. What will be your response? 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10 again, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints, you on that day will share the glory of Christ, the perfect righteousness of Christ and His glory will burn in your own being like the filament of a lamp. And to be marveled at among all who have believed. On that day, you're going, to do, you're going to do a lot of marveling. You're like, wow. I wonder how many times you're going to say, wow. Or if that will even be a word we use in heaven. I can't, this is amazing. This is beyond my comprehension. We'll have the rest of eternity to think about it. And to sing about it. And to talk about it. But on that day, he will bring grace with him. That's amazing. So do you love and long for his, his appearing in these, for these reasons? Your reward is laid up. You're going to have perfect righteousness. And the Lord, the righteous judge, who should condemn you eternally to hell, his own wrath, because of his grace, will be the one who hands you that reward. And there will be nothing but joy for you. And for him Why should we love the appearing of Christ finally this morning? Because loving Christ's appearing, loving Christ's appearing, gains the reward. That's what he says, the last phrase here, "He will reward to me on that day this crown of righteousness, but not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. I love how Paul sweeps every believer into that into this description. All who have loved his appearing. To whom does Paul say the Lord will reward the crown of righteousness? The perfect righteousness of glorification will be awarded not just to Paul, but to all who love, have loved the appearing of Christ. Those who love Christ's appearing will be graciously given the reward of glorification when he returns. Now, Again, here's where the important question comes into play. Why does Paul describe the recipient of the reward of righteousness in this way? Those who have loved his appearing. Because love for the appearing of Christ is the description of a genuine believer. A love for the appearing of Christ will increasingly characterize the life and longings of a genuine believer. The Apostle John alludes to it as well in 1 John 3, 1-3. We are ones who have been called children of God, so we long for that day and purify ourselves for that day. To love the appearing of Christ is to love Christ and to long to see and experience the fullness of His glory when He appears. And that love for Christ is the fruit of genuine saving faith. If you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love me, you are my disciples. Paul ta- or John, Jesus talked about in, in John 13. That longing for Christ's appearing is an unmistakable mark of the work of God's grace in a believer's life. Do we naturally come from the womb loving God? No. Romans 5 says we're born at enmity with God. We don't love God. We think we do, but it's a God of our own imagination. But the real God, if we get to know Him as an unbeliever, the natural response is hatred, enmity. So it takes a work of God in the heart to cause someone to love. We love because He first loved us. It's a valid and good mark of genuine saving faith. So we got to honestly ask ourselves, do I love the appearing of Christ? You know, I think about that for myself, and I, I imagine I'm speaking for all of us. We have a long way to go. Especially under the weight of trials, when my values, my heart values are tested, I find that my love is far too dim and too weak and often barely there. Can we say it that way? Love for Christ and His appearing though greatly imperfect in us must and will continue to blossom into an eager anticipation and passionate longing if we are truly born of God. That's a very important part of sanctification and a holy desire that we must pursue by the grace of God as He works in us to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do you want to grow in your love?
1: for the appearing of Christ?
0: This is an important part of your sanctification. And it's, it's a vital motivation in our struggle against sin and suffering and in the service of Christ. Let me state the alternative for us. If you truly love this world, and all the experiences that this world can bring to you, and all the gifts that this world can heap upon you, more than you love Christ, and you don't really even care to love Christ, more than you love the experience of His unveiled glory, more than you love the rewards of Christ, then it sounds to me in the Scriptures, and my heart trembles at this, that you're living and loving like Demas. We talked about that last week or the other week, Demas who deserted Christ for being in love with the world. Notice Second Timothy chapter four, verse 10. right at the tail end here of verse eight, who love is appearing. Well, Demas didn't love his appearing. he was in love instead with the present world, and so he deserted Paul when Persecution for the sake of Christ became hot. This this ought to stir us here. Do I love Christ and His appearing? Or do I love the world more? 1 John 2, 15-17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is... From the world, the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever.
1: As believers, we do struggle with love for the world. But by God's grace, our love for Christ trumps the love for the world. That's what repentance is, isn't it? That's what growing...
0: And grace is. But we do, we should probe our hearts and say, maybe I don't love Christ at all. Maybe I don't long for his appearing at all. Maybe I just love the world. And if that is your position today, if if that is where you are today, God's will for you today is to turn from your sin, turn from yourself, turn from love from the world. By his grace and trust in Christ alone to wait for his appearing. If you do not love Christ, but you love the world, grieve that idolatry and turn to Christ for his grace.
1: Be like the Thessalonians who heard the word of the truth
0: and received it with full conviction. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10, verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. If you love the world, and do not love Christ, then when the Lord appears on that day, you will experience His wrath in full. Is it
1: worth it? Think about that. Is it worth it? Would you rather have the
0: world or have Christ? Think of the alternative, 2 Thessalonians 1, through 7-10 again. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day. So I, I urge you, I appeal to you today, if you are here and you are not in Christ, you have not placed your trust for salvation from your sin, from the wrath that we're talking about, on that day, do so today. Loving the sin, loving the world is not worth experiencing the just judgment and wrath of God for eternity. He is also merciful and gracious. He will receive all who come to Him and begin to turn away from their love for the world and love for sin to Him alone, because He provided all that is needful to rescue us from His own wrath. The cross, His righteous life,
1: His resurrection. Do you want grace on that day? Or His wrath? How do you receive Christ now? That's the question. Turn to Christ, I
0: urge you today, because He could come very soon. As we close this morning, I want to turn back to my my thoughts here to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm asking you again, do you love the appearing of Christ for the reasons that we talked about today? Because His reward is laid up for you. The reward is righteousness. Christ will give the reward. Loving Christ's appearing gains the reward. But precious
1: things, and all of that is of grace. Before I pray, let me read this text
0: 2 Peter 3 8 through 15. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Dear ones, this is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for grace. We're waiting for the new heaven and new earth. We're waiting for perfect righteousness. We're waiting for the appearing of Christ. So love that appearing for these reasons and many more that, Lord willing, we'll get to talk about in the days ahead. Love the appearing of Christ and then preach the word and proclaim the gospel. That's why Peter wrote there, waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is the time to preach the gospel. The fullness of the Gentiles hasn't come in yet. How do you know? The Lord hasn't returned. So until then, preach the word. Proclaim the gospel. And to do so that, to do that, we need to love the appearing of Christ. Would you stand with me and let's pray together?
1: Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning
0: in prayer together, as the body of Christ, I I join together now in prayer with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We join our hearts together speaking to you who sits on the throne of grace through our mediator, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice, Father, in the fact that You are Lord of all, that Christ is Lord of all. That He is the righteous judge.
1: And that He comes soon
0: on that day and He will appear. And we thank You that when He comes, He will grant us grace. That He will bring grace with Him. We know, Father, that The judgment of the Son is righteous, that it is perfect. And we tremble before you as our God. And that's part of the reason we are so thankful for the grace that you have wrought for us in Christ. And yet we confess our sin to you this morning in light of this text. We confess to you together that we have a lack of love for you. Lack of love for your appearing lack of love for and longing for the reward that you will bring with you. We confess it to you, Father. We confess to you that we love the world too much. We confess to you because we love the world too much and because we love your appearing too little that we are slow to preach the word and proclaim the gospel from day to day. We confess this to you, Father, and we grieve it. And we long to love you and your appearing more than anything, the appearing
1: of the Son. Lord
0: Jesus, you who sits on the throne as Lord, command through the Spirit within us this change in our hearts. Enable us to love. And long for your appearing to let it fill our minds moment to moment, day by day. That we would have all that we need within us. The right spiritual affections to endure suffering. To say no to sin.
1: To stay in the struggle. To bring you glory to endure to the end.
0: We thank you for the forgiveness that you have granted through your death, your, your burial, your resurrection, your righteous life, that you are our advocate standing before the Father even now. Thank you for the righteousness you've granted to us and your atonement. And so we ask you to cleanse us from our worldly loves and grant us spiritual affections Heighten spiritual affections today for
1: your return. Enable us,
0: Father. Enable us, Son. Enable us, Holy Spirit, for these things. So that we may serve and speak as we ought. Speak the gospel to one another, to the world, to our community right around us. Serve in love as we ought. Stir one another up as we ought by gathering together even as the day approaches all the more often to work for your glory as we ought. Fill us with the affection of the longing of Christ's appearing. And we pray together even now, come Lord Jesus. Bring your salvation with you. Bring the full display and unveiling of your glory with you. Set up your earthly kingdom forever. Bring the new heaven and new earth with you. Transform us from these lowly bodies. To have bodies like your glorious body.
1: Let us be blameless in mind, spirit, body. Let us bring you glory the way we long to. We pray these things in the name of Jesus for his glory amen